Yeah, that's what I heard too. But that's it's the Davos. Or not Davos. It's uh, what's his face? <laughs> not Davos. I'm thinking of Davos because I'm reading Davos as we speak. But uh, no. not as we speak. But uh, uh, Sirio Pharrell. Wow, that's Zach's Pharrell voice. We are reading Tyrion today. Tyrion. The half man. We're reading Tyrion today, guys. Hey, everybody. I'm trying to do it. I'm failing to do that voice uh, of the dubbing video. Have you guys seen it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, I'm. T- I'm disappointed they didn't use the shot where she was hanging out of the window though and yelling that little finger. <laughs> yeah, <that>? Ned <laughs> from the Seinfeld video. I yeah, was totally expecting so that. Micah knows how to intro the show. Ooh. It's been a while since I've introed a show, uh, but uh, before we started, we were actually talking a little bit about. Uh, pies because let's face it it's the time of year where we like to sit down with family and friends and after dinner have a few pies right a few pies pie pumpkin one to three pies for Mm. dinner pumpkin pie yes yes on the pumpkin cherry lattice pie. i'm not really a big fan of pie Hmm. i haven't had pie in a long time how can you not be a fan of pie can we discuss i don't know i don't think i'm american enough oh wait surely it's a, a danish or a german thing Surely, I think, Selena, is yeah. it? Well, the you Germans... Mean, surely not! The Germans, at least the uh, what we call Pennsylvania Dutch, which is... Uh, That's not the same. It's more Bavarian. <laughs> uh, is, you know, it's the pastries and the foshnocks and the American. donuts and the baked goods. Uh, I would think that pies would be right up there. Stuff it with fruit. But Selena is from Sweden, first of all. Well, first of all. Yeah. That whole right. area strikes me as being very fruity. Uh, and, and not for any, not, <laughs> not in any political no. uh, way, but, but the fruits of the, I'm so thinking no political of the, fruitiness. the sound of music, you know, everything is it's high, the beaches, high elevation it? and the fruit is cold yeah, that's and chilled like to the, the touch. The Alps. The Alps. Cold fruit. Mm. I think. Well, I remember climbing through some salt caves in Salzburg. That was pretty nice. <laughs> that's that's nowhere near Sweden. Everybody. <laughs> I like to think that I visited places lesson. near to you, but I think Micah probably came closer. Still not that close. Micah, um, you mentioned pie. What what about pie? Yeah, please. Well, uh, in the chapter that we're about to talk about, there's uh, some references to pies. <laughs> probably not the kind that any of us would actually eat. At least I hope not. But uh, – so just a really quick side story uh, as it relates to pies. Pumpkin pie, actually, Eric, uh, oh, as you pointed out earlier, uh, I had a, a pumpkin you know, in, in the front of my house, and it was actually from the, the person I bought it from. They said, are you really sure that you want to buy this kind of pumpkin? Because it, it's a pumpkin that's generally used for pumpkin pie, not – you know, the the ones that you just kind of put on display outside your home and sure. they sit there for a couple of weeks. And so I had to throw this pie out because – or sorry, the, the pumpkin out because the squirrel that I have <laughs> around the house keeps eating the fucking pumpkin. And so the reasoning behind it, I believe, is that it's, it's a pumpkin that's used for pumpkin pie. So he was just – or she was just chowing down on it and really left it in a sorry state. So now I need to go out and buy some more pumpkins. You should buy less tasty. That's such an interesting pumpkins. related story. I, yeah, I, I, is this related about. to the chapter? Because like <laughs> the world is starving, yet you have like trash pumpkins that are used to pies. make delicious pies. Some, there's something about squirrels, you know. Yeah. I'm sensing a connection here. Also, when were you going to tell us about your pet squirrel? That's either he or she. <laughs> <laughs> You're not sure. Or both? Who the hell knows? It could be both. Yeah. All right. This is a this is a podcast that has opened to many things. Could be a drag squirrel. <laughs> could be a dragon. But uh, yes, dragon squirrel. There you go. Micah could just be on. Drugs. And there's your connection. <laughs> I, I thought it tied in because it 
it was a, a pie related story. We're going to talk about pies to some extent in this chapter. It's also fall and pumpkins. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to suggest it. that we it may be a little early to be displaying pumpkins on your doorstep, but then I looked at the date and no. it's the 20th. No, no, yeah. it's certainly not. It's the perfect time. The last time I cut up a pumpkin and put it on my porch, it rotted in like a day. It was terrible. And I, I thought I waited really late, maybe the 25th, 26th of October, and it was in no state to be shown on the doorstep for Halloween when the trick-or-treaters came by. So I was very upset, and, and you know, of course, they start selling pumpkins at the supermarket at the beginning of October or the end of September, um, which is too early, because if you cut it, it, it reduces the life. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but apparently not. Yeah. I mean, we do have eleven when, days till Halloween, everybody. Upset, and, Eric, and if anybody wants a great cry? costume idea, dress up as Joffrey <laughs> with the unfortunate uh, pie uh, all over his crown and all over his face, as On that happens face. in this in this episode. And that's actually and a good. You will be the hit idea. of your party. I, I guarantee mm. it. I actually need a costume idea. I like this one. <laughs> All this talk about pie, I didn't really know where you guys were going with it. But then I remember the uh, pie on the side of the face. And I, I just wanted to say that we're now 10 days-ish away from Halloween approaching. And before we move on with this episode, this is the perfect time to start submitting your ridiculous and your cool, but also your ridiculous Game of Thrones-themed costumes. And also your Game of Thrones-themed <laughs> costumes. I heard that someone's going dressed up as Eric, so I'm excited to see that one as well. It's me, guys. That was me. I, I, oh. <laughs> oh, Selena, you as well. Oh, I hope we don't go to the yeah. same party. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll, no. We'll be, we'll be chastised for, for our lack of ingenuity. Should wear some fishnet. <laughs> That's what I was planning to do, actually. Oh, oh my God. God. Well, if you join that party, ladies and gentlemen, um, you can tweet it our way or Facebook or something. Eric will talk about that stuff later. It's true. Yeah, so we're talking about... Well, who are we talking about today? Let me take a look at this book that I just read. Tyrion. We're talking about Tyrion today. And this is a huge chapter. I was really, really, really blown away because I know that just sounds a little bit too much of like a hyperbole and it's for children. But was this not just a really kind of different feeling book at the beginning of the chapter when they're hanging out by all the ships. Mm-hmm. I just thought these were it was like Rob's hammer, you know, like the name of a <laughs> ship. Like it felt so epic. And just being away from the towers of King's landing was, was really nice. Yeah, it's true. And we finally get a little bit more about a uh, Tommen and Marcella for the first time. We like, we begin to get a, a idea of their personalities. Yeah. And Marcella actually being set up as a pretty strong character. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even cry. I, I like that we saw her leave. You know, so much of this stuff happens out, you know, off scene. Like, for instance, Baelish is leaving. You know, the last Tyrion chapter, he volunteered to go away. Um, but nobody, you know, sent him off. We didn't see that. Uh, but here with yeah. Marcella, we get to see her on the ship being taken away. And we get everybody's reactions to it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like the backseat view, I feel like we get so much, you know? Like, even, Mm. I don't want to skip to the end of this chapter, but we got to see a glimpse, and the show had to produce it because they wanted the audience to feel it and not just feel the finishing bits. But toward the end of this chapter, when Sandor is carrying Sansa on the horse, I Mm -hmm. felt like we missed an entire just grandiose action scene that could have happened. Like, (laughs) as the chapter was approaching, I was hoping it would go right to a Sansa chapter and explain it, you know? Mm, yeah that's true yeah yeah well they did embellish uh in the tv series uh, uh you know a little bit in terms of the sansa and that forwarded the sandor versus sansa uh story but i mean in this book we get people i mean in this chapter we have people ripped apart 
Uh, we have people in white cloaks that are now stained completely uh, red and brown from head to toe. Uh, people are being gutted. People are losing their hands. Or, or, or as the book says it, uh, a hand was parted from the wrist. Uh, <laughs> it, it parted from its wrist like it's they go together, you know, and it's not supposed to be removed. But um, a lot of lot of violence uh, that just kind of comes across as being, ugh, I don't want to say commonplace because it's certainly new. People aren't used to this. Even the cloaks don't do their their best job protecting it. But, uh, you know, it, it's weird how well the chapter flows into other chapters where there's no action, like the Davos after it or uh, even the one before it, you know. I mean, these chapters where they're all of a sudden all this bloodshed, people are dying, people are getting poo flung at them, uh, <laughs> getting hit with pies in the face. You just don't know do. what you're going to expect. <laughs> I think coming from someone who's reading this the first time, you don't know what to expect what, you know, chapter in, chapter out. It's true. It's very good. It's very interesting, especially, you know, if you haven't already seen the show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is one of the chapters where I mean, I, me and Micah read this before we knew what was going to happen. And I, I was, I, I thought someone was dying when I read this the first time. Like, I was sure this was it. You know, they were going to mob them, maybe like Joffrey or Cersei or anyone. I was like, anything could happen. And then actually, no one did. It does get really serious. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think reading this, if I were reading this without having seen the show, I would expect the government to be falling soon. Um, yeah. Because the mob, you know, as it was built up in this chapter and as it seemed to build up uh, just out of nowhere, you know, the cries, uh, again, it said, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but all the cries about banners and, and men was just changed to bread. Yeah. Give us, give us yeah, bread. Know. You know, the, the masses were just so out of control. It's amazing that the government stays, uh, functional, you know, the next couple chapters. Yeah. I think the TV show though did a good job with this particular chapter. I mean, obviously there was a little bit more with Sansa being saved by the hound. We actually get to see that on screen. Whereas in this chapter, it's just kind of talked about after the fact. And mm -hmm. I think Sansa was in a far more precarious position in the TV show than she was in the book. Yeah. Although if she yeah. was left there for any longer period of time, it probably would have resulted uh, in the same thing that happened to uh, Lady Tonda's daughter. Yeah. I, I just, in this particular chapter, thought that you got a lot of insight into how Tyrion is continuing to serve as Hand of the King and how he's laying out this plan to send Marcella off to Dorne, but he's doing it via Bravos, which is, you know, completely out of direction, you know, from a geographical standpoint. You know, he's basically mm -hmm. sending her across the narrow sea to send her back across the narrow sea hmm. when King's Landing is in fact very close uh to Dorne. Much closer than it is to Bravos, but you know, it's almost one of those things where you're trying to divert attention away. You know, there's they're sailing these ships with um you know, white banners as opposed to the, the banners of, of Lannister red and gold, you know. So I think he's he's thought through this very, very carefully and he knows basically that if something, some harm of any kind comes to Marcella, it's going to be his ass on the line. Well, I, and the interesting thing about Tyrion as a character is this this great amount of brooding in this chapter over his actions. We get to see the uh, plots like Marcella's come to fruition in here, but at the you know essentially Tyrion finds out through the battle, um, and you know what follows afterwards that people really don't like him. People are blaming the state of the country on him, not on Joffrey, not on Cersei. 
And ultimately, he feels very put down about all this and really asks himself once he's in his chambers at the end of the chapter, well, what have I really done as hand? You know, did my father send me here as a joke? And have I really accomplished anything? My, you know, girlfriend's a whore and and I'm a half man and I'm ugly and people hate me. It's like, wow. That's really... And it's really interesting because, I mean, we get a quote from him at some point in this chapter where he basically says, you know, that thing that the reason that people don't like him is because he has food and he is ugly. And that's like, <laughs> it's so terrible, but it's so true, you know? It really he's is. He's easy to hate because he's like the the freak, as they call him. He's the half man. He's like, and and he's so ironic that he's the only one who's actually trying to work for the benefit of the people, but I think it also just just speaks to the fact that Tyrion is playing such a slow game. You know, he's really he's setting up the pieces and he needs he needs time to make it all work. And it's very risky at this point what he's doing. But if it works, then that's like perfect and can solve everything. But it is very strange that he chooses to do this very elaborate plan, you know? I I think the chapter just goes from you know, you're you're obviously seeing the whole thing from his perspective, but you're, you're seeing, as Selena, you pointed out, you're seeing his plans slowly take shape. You know, this yeah. is something that was kind of laid out earlier on in the book where he decides to, you know, send Marcella off to Dorne and to the Martells. And now it's finally starting to happen. And you, know, you see the execution of all this and just the time and energy, the effort that he's put into it. And that's completely kind of juxtaposed as he begins to take this walk through the city because despite whatever he's doing to keep his own family safe, he still has to deal with the situation that's going on with the people. And it's a terrible, terrible situation uh, to, to have to try and figure out because these individuals are just really seconds away from, you know, killing Tyrion and Cersei and Joffrey and everybody else who are making their way back. Um, but, one other thing that I did want to bring up, though, in, you know, kind of when they're sitting around waiting for the ships to sail, is he notes how susceptible King's Landing is to siege. Mm-hmm. And if Stannis mm-hmm. decided to sail, uh, you know, into Blackwater Bay and lay siege to King's Landing, now would probably be the best time to do it. Gosh. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> a scary thought. Cause Foreshadowing. He, yeah, yeah. But I mean, furthermore, I think later in the chapter too, he's, he just says, man, if they make it past our walls, the city is lost. Yeah. I mean, just look how unstable things were today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, well, with the government shut down. Enemy soldiers. Yeah. It's just, it's going to get crazy. Yeah. It's, it's definitely the fear is there. And it, it's, it's weird because I'm trying to think and the, just in terms of thinking ahead, I'm wondering how the country, you know, stays together, or at least the city. Uh, with mobs like this, even having happened once is, is too many times for something like this to happen. When you're dealing with, uh, essentially a population that is so great mm-hmm. of poor that they can overpower the men. I mean, they killed the priest, you know, for crying out loud. And, and, the, and the, I think Tyrion had a great line when he said, uh, again, you know, the priest was so fat he could hardly walk. Uh, so the, the people just don't take kindly to a priest who can't. The starving people don't take kindly to a priest who can't. Right, they probably ate him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I was just gonna say they probably don't. People are being yeah. torn apart. People are being mutilated. I mean, Blackwater Bay, the battle that we know happens later. It's it's amazing. There's a city to defend uh, still yeah. for for that long. So look, I mean, hopefully Tyrion's able to get himself together. I I, I really hope to find out how they're keeping these people at bay. Are they giving them bread? 
You know, and I mean, there's a fire that breaks out and Tyrion's worried about the wildfire. Yeah. Okay. Catching fire. All will truly be lost if yep. even one of those things ignites. It's a powder keg in every sense the word King's Landing is a powder keg right now. And it's exciting to read about, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> no. And I think what I was trying to get at before, though, too, is that despite everything that he has done and, and you see it, you know, in, early on in this chapter, whether it's. You know, thinking through the situation with Marcella, whether it's, you know, hoping that Stannis doesn't show up at his doorstep and preparing all this wildfire, whether it's the whole buying of the kettle blacks, which is kind of a side note in this chapter, you know, no matter what he does, you know, when, when, when Bywater comes in, you know, to, yeah, to, to yes. give him the, the quote unquote butcher's report and then tell him about what the people really think of him, which was touched on earlier. You know, it seems like that no matter what he does, he's still not going to get the respect of the people. I think it's important for Tyrion to run into this situation character-wise because I think George is is trying to really hammer into us readers that Tyrion is good not for the glory of the people like so many are, like a Theon Greyjoy would be, like for the for what he can mm. get from his actions. That Tyrion he he is trying to make things work so that they work. So people are fed, so people are healthy, so people don't hate his family, so that he can exist and so that people are happy. And I think that's just important for George to do here, just to humanize him even more. Yeah. And yeah. The reasons okay. for people not liking Tyrion are are as always, you know, as they often would be in reality completely unfounded or out of out of Tyrion's control. Let's just say that Bywater calls him the least common denominator. He doesn't use those words, but he's like, well, Joffrey and the Queen were both here in times of peace. You weren't. <laughs> and so people think it's right. you. People think that Pycelle is some righteous guy who, as soon as he spoke up, you imprisoned him. And it's just people have the, the completely wrong way of things. But part of that and reading it, the brilliance of it is that you can see how rumors like that would get out is if people believed in their government before, which they have to, right? You can't, you almost can't not if you expect to live in a country mm. um, yeah. in peace, you have to have faith in your officials. Well, once those officials begin to be in prison, Tyrion is cleaning things up, but they have to see it as, well, he's actually, you know, making things worse. It's really weird. Yeah. yeah. But that's just serves to get us on Tyrion's side, you know, as yeah. the audience. And I think that is important. I mean, not that we weren't already, but, you know, throughout this book, it's like George is just hammering home that we are on Tyrion's side. How yeah. can you not be on Tyrion's yeah. side when he, runs, exactly, when exactly. he runs over to Joffrey, pushes him down, <laughs> no, punches him, pushes him down, and then he I believe him, plants be a kick or two? Does he kick him? Yeah, yeah, he does. He kicks him. The king <laughs> gets kicked. Mm -hmm. And Cersei lets it happen, and everybody lets it happen. Everyone did, yeah. Because because that just happened. I mean, this is the scene from the TV show, people. I know some of you yeah. aren't reading along with us. Right. This is the scene from the TV show when they're when they're seeing Marcella off to Dorne, and they're on their way back, and the entire city basically is like, cow killers! You know, just starts yelling crazy <laughs> shit at them. You know, Rob! Uh, Renly! A few people say Renly. They're like, there was well, a I Rob mean, supporter. could still yeah. be alive. They're like, the young wolf! Yeah! yeah. My favorite well, line. King Bread takes over. <laughs> this entire series was used and it wasn't used in the TV show I know we're talking about it before um, and I said that I wouldn't reveal what it was yeah, until we were recording I'm excited mm -hmm. it's brother fucker yes <laughs> brother fucker at one point they started they started chanting it and it's not a very tasteful word but for the love of god it was chanted in this book in this chapter <laughs> 
And then they yes, went right to bread. From from that to bread. So <laughs> right, 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 bread. Kind of bread. situation bread. they were in. So my entire point yeah. is the city is for all intents and purposes lost because you can defend from invaders and and that's scary. But when the people that make up your commonwealth are like, I'm done with this, I'm gonna start throwing shit. And it's not even mine. Then you know that things are really <laughs> getting bad. Who was it? That was really like the- tearing open. It's like a zombie apocalypse. They're tearing open chests, just chewing on ligaments and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so when yeah. they finally make it back to the castle with a lot of their friends dead, like, oh, I saw his face getting beaten in with a cobblestone. We've got a lady yelling about her daughter being lost, which is absolutely sad and terrible. You know, everyone is mad and everyone knows that it's, it's Joffrey's fault for yelling and sicking the hound and telling him to cut through people. And that's why Tyrion just leaves on him and gives him a good smack. So I don't think we're going to get many uh, opportunities in the book to like relish this like undisciplined action against Joffrey, but it was good while it lasted. Not only that, I mean, you also get insight in that very scene into what kind of men are really protecting Joffrey, right? When yeah. Cravens, they're not even willing to go and try and find Sansa. Mm. You know, I called him in my notes, Sir Boros the bitch, because he basically, <laughs> he's, he's, that's awesome. Your notes are crueler than any man in the book. <laughs> right. But, and then they, they won't take direction from Tyrion later on, both Sir Boros and Sir Baron. And Cersei steps in and basically says, you know what? The king, the hand of the king speaks with the king's voice. And yeah. I was like, wow, Cersei. That was really interesting. Yeah. Exactly. That she actually came and stepped up for Tyrion there. It was like she struck, it says something like she struck like a viper. Just like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She rose up and struck like a viper, yeah. Someone was shit talking against her brother. And when you're in a dire situation like that, no matter how much they hate each other, she was like, hold the fuck on. Like, you're a guard. Mm -hmm. All right? He's, he might be like small and shit, but he's the hand of the king. So listen for Mm -hmm. a sec. If they don't like your white cloaks, take them off. Like seriously, go, go naked. Na- go <laughs> naked into the crowd. Just do Just it. Get out there. We pay. Maybe for then this. they'll know that you're a man. So <laughs> that's. I mean, that's just really where it's at. These men have never been tested. They're you know these cloaks, the white cloaks, whatever they are, um, are just cool. not. Their hearts not into it. Men like Barristan Selmy, um, who have honor and have who who have the capability to defend a king. Uh, have been sent away for completely other reasons, completely extraneous reasons in other times. And this is what they're left with. This is what Tyrion mm. or any of the council has to work with here. Um, it's really a shame. Well, it's, it's their own doing, honestly. Yeah. And this is just the, what happens when, you know, Tyrion has tried to surround himself with good people. And this was personal conflict that you guys were mentioning earlier that he deals with in the chapter that maybe from the outside looking in, they may not look the best branded people. You know, he's with the whore and his best friend is a sellsword who's just kind of a, a scruffy dude. And then he hangs out with Shaga who sleeps during the riots, you know, <laughs> and everyone's too afraid to wake him up. But Shaga's these people get results. No, you know? no, it's true. But these people get results. These people aren't completely motivated only by gold. It seems like maybe Bron is, but I just feel like it's just another one of those situations here in the book where George is yet again trying to, to give us a further perspective and, and go against the mold, the mold being boring people that don't get anything done. And now these mm-hmm. kinds of things happens and people die and sad things happen. Yeah. I just feel like this poor guy has done everything he possibly can, you know, to, to try and protect his family. And I don't know as much about getting people to like him outside of just his initial family, but it, it seems like he's trying, right? I mean, he's motivated, I think. Um, to a degree 
when it comes to those kinds of, of wishes. He wants not to be hated, you know, because he's probably dealt with that yeah. his entire life. But I just think that that's the, the cloak he's chosen to wear. Like, he understands that, you know, I'm not going to be able to please everyone, but hopefully I do things right. Right. And he gets counsel from the right people, at least I think so, with Varys. Uh, you know, he mentions Varys in this chapter you know, that, that he had to counsel him basically on finding the right captain to take Marcella to Dorne, you know, because there's just so many people out there that can't be trusted, you know, people who could potentially be in allegiance with Stannis because most of that fleet went with Stannis when he left for Dragonstone. Was it Bywater or another, uh, one of the, the men who commands, uh, the guard said that he didn't even trust half his own men? It, no, it was Bywater. It was yeah, Bywater. That, in yeah. The city watch, yeah, and that's a big problem mm-hmm. if you can't trust the people who are supposed to protect you. So, I mean, contrasting this with what we heard from Jorah Mormont in Danny's chapter previously, where he said, "Oh, a foreign enemy invading on the shore will unite, you know, the kingdom like no other." You really just kind of can't help but see this whole fabric unraveling. I mean, it's true, and that's this is where we get to see Tyrion working so well, continually in this situation being a strong leader. And I think that's why Cersei snapped so hard when he was getting kind of backtalked because that entire Mm -hmm. situation in front of the castle, when they were figuring out what to do, he was just on it. He was like, oh, there's a fire. Someone's yelling that flea bottom is now set aflame. All right, let's get the water wagons out. Let's start planning all of this. He's like, things may be okay by tomorrow, but let's not lose the entire damn city. This is just his, his way to be a very, very good hand of the king. And I think that the state of affairs that has led all of them to this is just absolutely crazy. When you think about how passive he was expected to be as hand of the king, just a figurehead, but now he's literally keeping everyone alive, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good that Cersei actually realized that, I think. There is some, some, a shred of something decent or something thought full, if you can say that, about Cersei. And I think it's good that it's brought up because it's not very clear at this point in the books at all. She just seems like a complete villain, you know? But I don't think she necessarily is. Danger will do that. Yeah. I, I think that during this moment, um, she was stunned into inactivity. Like, her first, like, her, the moment where she came back into it was to shout at the the men to follow Tyrion. Uh, but, you know, from the time that all of this had begun happening, she was kind of in in flight mode or uh you know unable to articulate what needed to be done Tyrion, however as yeah. we said was on it and was on it yeah her, so her 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 coming you know once she finally caught her breath her first words are to follow Tyrion. but really i think you know she she cannot deny um how smart he is and how he's able to 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 do these things that need to be done um but she couldn't do them herself you know it's kind of a weakness uh of hers to 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 be able to not quite think this way. Yeah, he's smart. Mm-hmm. He's tactical. And I mean, he's probably the best person to have in this situation. And, and I, f- I feel like you know, we talked about that a lot at the end of season two when it aired on HBO that, you know, he kind of has this fall from grace. You know, he's this he's really this powerful character who ends up going into battle and kicking ass. And then once season three rolls around you know, he's kind of had all of that taken away from him, uh, mostly by his father. The more important question I wanted to raise kind of before we wrap up this chapter uh, is where is Littlefinger? 
We got a Good little question. insight into mm. that. It's it's hard to find a little finger in a haystack. Oh, that's what she <laughs> said. You mean a pie stack? <laughs> Did you write that? A pie stack? Oh. Yeah, a little finger in a where's a little finger in a pie stack? That's just a reference. Oh, that's, that yeah. just sounds like Beautiful a bad Stephen about. King novel. No, no. no then I found. Then I, it reminds me of the saying: uh, "Finger in everyone's dirty. finger <laughs> in everyone's pie," right? Or finger in everyone's pie. I heard that as finger in everyone's porn. <laughs> fingers in I many have fingers in I many think pies. Either or little finger may say that. But, uh, I mean, where is he? I, I don't know. It's a fleeting sentence in the book where it's like, oh, he hasn't reported in yet. I think it's weird, but Tyrion just kind of doesn't Tyrion just put it away, put it off to being like, well, they're probably scorning the marriage proposal or something somewhere. It's weird There's that he hasn't reported more than that. In. Nobody's really, uh, concerned, are they? Well, yeah, but it seems as if he's been sent off to meet with the Tyrells. Right. And get Marjorie's hand for Joffrey. Right. Yeah. He makes that comment about um, yeah, something like she she'd rather have Joffrey's head on a stick than his um, cock in his daughter, cock in her his daughter. Yeah, yeah, that that's what it was. <laughs> but it's weird that Baelish hasn't reported back. I will give you that, and I think that Tyrion thinks the same thing. It's just weird that he hasn't reported back. He should have said something by now if he were half as good at uh, being a diplomat as as he's supposed to be. Yeah, it says that more likely the Tyrells were balking. At the proposed marriage, mm. Mm. and then the line, yeah, that so you guys maybe they about. just had their they're having their laughs, and it's taking it's still taking a little longer than he would like, but there's just that just furthers the anxiety of this chapter uh, that there's no solid alliance with the Tyrells. Um, Stannis, it, you know, which we find out in the next chapter is on his, you know, kind of on his way, definitely getting a, a coming closer to being on its way to sacking the city, and and it, it does create a sort of Anxiety for the um over sort of like an overarching anxiety for the end of this book, um which we're we're not at the end of the book we're maybe you know three quarters if eh, more like five eighths the way through I think and really it's just kind of setting up what's going to be we know is going to be the the big battle here of, of for King's Landing. The chapter wraps up with Tyrion sitting in a room with Bronn and Varys, and Bronn makes an interesting. Suggestion mm-hmm. kind of gets the wheels turning in Tyrion's mind of that perhaps Tommen would be a better king than Joffrey. It's unfathomable, and I don't understand. I have a question about this. Perhaps. Was was Varys in the room when um yeah when uh, Bronn said this? Because I thought that was very yep. like callous that thing to <laughs> say. You know, I know he's a sellsword, but still saying it to Tyrion is one thing. Saying it to Tyrion with Varys there. Is completely different thing. Varys actually is the first person to speak after Bronn says that he gets them yeah. to he gets them to kind of calm it down a little bit. But uh, because Tyrion yeah. Tyrion objects, he's like, "That's unfathomable. I could have your head for that." Um, but really, it's it is interesting that, that Bronn should even bring that up. Um, but all based on this idea that Tommen is a little boy who will do what everybody else tells him to. Right. That doesn't course. necessarily make a good king. It would solve a lot of current problems. Well, it would, it, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> that he would be nothing, you know, like that's kind of because, you know, he, they're basically saying he would be more pliable and they wouldn't have all these, these problems, which I think that happened earlier in the chapter too when, um, when, Joffrey was saying something to Sansa about how he wanted to like give her a fatal wound and Tyrion looked over at uh at Cersei and saw her sort of talking to someone else very much not paying attention to Joffrey and it's just that kind of they have this big problem on their hands and I don't know I just think it's really it's it's really strange that um Bronn would say something like that in front of Varys 
But I guess it wasn't really a threat. It was more just an observation, you know, which is voicing what everyone's thinking. Right. I see it as George is trying to show us that these three have become like bros in right. a way. Like, yeah. Not like bros in a bro sense, but just like they have a a seemingly trustworthy alliance in yeah. this current light. Now that he's hand and has some power. Mm-hmm. And Varys doesn't care much for the Lannisters. So I don't, I don't think that Bronn throwing that idea around really... It would cause Varys to run back and tell Cersei, like, no. maybe a Grandmaster Pycelle would. Well, mm. right. still, can you really completely blame just Joffrey? I mean, Joffrey is a problem. Let's not uh, beat around the bush there. But is he the only problem? Is he really the reason that these people aren't being fed? Um, because where is the chapter where Joffrey's like, no, we shouldn't uh, give that food to them. Uh, we should. Uh, well, he did order Ned. We should death. give it to the. Yeah, but ultimately, I mean, he made a, he definitely incited this riot, um, as was pointed out, you know, when, when he sicked his dog on them, as Tyrion says. But ultimately, like, they were prepped, they were primed to blow, uh, prior to that specific incident, which was directly Joffrey's fault. So who mm-hmm. primed them? I think it is a greater issue of leadership. Uh, you know, and, and poor ruling in general of the country. Of course, if the king right. is the one who rules, it follows that it is Joffrey's fault. But ultimately, I don't think he has the best counsel, and we know he doesn't have the best guards. I agree with what was said, <laughs> though, about killing Ned. I mean, that that rests solely with him. That was his decision um, after yeah. he was told to do otherwise and actually promised himself to do otherwise. But, you know, well, with that said, he did not kill John Aaron, and he did not kill King Robert. So there are a lot of other events that took place. He did not push Bran from a tower. Uh, so, you know, it's, I agree. It's not all his fault at the end of the day. He could have not only better counsel, I think, but better parenting. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, my question too, also, and I he's mean, a, you know, sociopath yeah. by birth. Well, if Ned were around, what could Ned do? I mean, if he were alive, if he had survived, he would be banished, right, to the wall? Isn't that what they wanted? Yeah. There wouldn't be a war, for one. Well, there wouldn't be, yeah, I mean, true. no, no. The, 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 <laughs> there, the, would, there wouldn't be a war. Stannis would still be interested in taking the city. Ned wouldn't even be with his family. He'd be alive, so maybe Rob wouldn't be as pissed. But, I mean, Ned would be on the wall probably kicking some ass. There was one guy in this crowd, to be fair, who said, you know, the young wolf, right? He's He's for the north. But like I, I think there's also this city was going to collapse whether or not Ned was killed. I don't, I don't see Ned's death as being the direct catalyst for this situation, in King's Landing, um, unless it's because you know people don't think he should have died. But the only indication is one guy who said it was for the Starks. Well, well, what do you consider the catalyst? Do you consider it the fact that Bran was pushed out the window? Well, I think no, no, no. I think or it just go just, back to John. It Eric. just goes well. Let's go back to Rob. I sense Robert Baratheon, um, you know, in his death. And, and I guess the, what, what's the claim of incest, um, is being purported by Stannis. So really, I think it's, it's the line of succession around Robert that I'm seeing as, as being the, the catalyst for all of this and the, the, the greater mismanagement of the kingdom by the Lannisters, um, or by Robert himself, who is dead. God rest his soul. Um, who, who wasn't prepared for this sort of. He was a good man. He was a good, <laughs> he was a, he, good he was a warrior. Man. He never should have been a politician. <laughs> I, I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think it has to do with Ned. I think this is all about Stannis and it's about Robert and it's about Renly, um, and Cersei. All right. 
So that can only mean one thing. Uh, is that the call for owns? Is it the owns? dinner bell's going off? Yes. Is it the own bell I hear? It is the own bell. Mm, kids, it's time to come eat your owns. Owns. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. It's own time. All right. Well, what since we we're going to talk about owns. Yes. Uh, I thought I would go ahead and read mine because it's open in front of me. This is the first episode we've we've had in a minute where it's four strong. So we get to do four owns today. All right. Wow. Four. Not that it has anything to do with my own, but I just wanted to oh, say Oh, I thought you were four. saying you have four owns. I don't have four. No, I'm sorry. Four gnomes? I don't have four gnomes either. Oh. Uh, my own goes to a very particular man that could have been the catalyst for it all. Eric, I'm surprised you didn't bring this guy up just now. Um, Is it Theon? Here's a passage from the book. <laughs> it says, Tyrion never saw who threw the dung. He only heard Sansa's gasp and Joffrey's bellowed curse. And when he turned his head, the king was wiping brown filth from his cheek. There was more caked in his golden hair and battered over Sansa's legs. Who threw that? Joffrey screamed. He pushed his fingers into his hair. Just imagine. Made a furious face and flung away another handful of dung. I want the man who threw that. He shouted a hundred golden dragons to the man who gives him up. He was up there! uh, Someone shouted from the crowd. So uh, it goes to the guy who threw the dung and also to his uh, best friend who tried to get the reward for it. Good on for him for causing the entire battle in the city. And he that owned. Because, he totally owned because he got away with it. Yes. He did, not only did he get away with it, but he he literally caused all of it. Yeah. Like people were bad things happened, and it was because this guy found some shit to throw. So you get the yeah. Own. I mean, where did he get that shit? It was just sitting around. I and mean, come on, <laughs> he must have carried it <laughs> no from afar. Well. He carried it for miles and miles. Uh, hey from, man, where you get that not. shit? <laughs> <laughs> the back of a truck had it. Um, but also for his for his aim. As well, right? I mean, he, he wasn't that close to Joffrey, clearly, or jo- or somebody else would have seen him. He wouldn't have gotten away, or he just speedily ran. So coming from someone who has terrible aim, like me, I would have to second that own. And I think it was uh, Varys. You, I, I Varys agree. threw I the poop. I think it was Shaga. <laughs> who threw the poop? Varys, Varys. Um, but uh, I, I did have another own I wanted to assign, which is to Shaga. Um, whose sleep uh, knows no bounds, and if that man does not wish to be awake, he will not be awoken. <laughs> During a riot situation, people are afraid to wake him. It's he 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 gets all of the own. Yes, I, my yeah. own was actually gonna be for Shaga as well, but now I'll give it to my backup, which was Marcella, for being so Good brave backup. and not crying. Because that was nice. I like that there's one of these incest Lannister children that actually seems to, like, be worth, you know. She seems like a, she seems like a good kid. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Pat on no, the shoulder really for her. Well done, Marcel. Marcella. It's not like they all have to be I messed up. I can't say her name. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, I have, a, I have an own, but then I also have um, an honorable mention. Ooh. Okay. How honorable okay. is it? Uh, I think it's pretty honorable. I think it's own worthy. First one goes to, and Eric, you will again be impressed because it does not go to Tyrion. Oh, thank God. <laughs> it goes to the Hound. Woo! Okay. I wanted to make dog noises, and but just simply, also, I, I won't. I, I, <laughs> when he comes back with Sansa, Ooh, let the hound where's out. my yep. horse? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. If anything's happened to that horse, someone's gonna pay. Uh huh. Yeah. He's so different from his brother. So different. He cares about his animals. He does. 
he's they a were good gonna go guy. back sir, sir, I love that the horse. other men and he's like I'll go back and I'm not gonna listen to, but I'm not gonna go for you my horse is still in there and he just turns around whips his hair out <laughs> whips his hair out runs his fingers through it alright and just gets my honorable there. mention good job hound very very beginning of the chapter he goes to a ship named Lady Liana oh yeah I wrote that that's down just yes. I, I mean I'm assuming that these are all part of Robert's larger fleet yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely. This is a slap in Cersei's face. I'm sure Cersei liked that one. Yeah. There's no, there's no Queen Cersei ship. Actually, I think there is, but not this. The time. ships go as, uh, Sea Swift, Boldwind, Lord Robert's Hammer, excuse me, no, whatever, Lady Liana, and the Lion Star. So the Lion Star is kind of, you know, Cersei's ish. I think there's right? a, a Cersei I think there ship. There is too. I think so. If not, now, yeah. later on in the series. And, and having a swift called T Swift is pretty modern, don't you think? <laughs> It's very pop culture reference. <laughs> oh, I just got it. <laughs> As our owns come to a close, we shift gears because our car still hasn't upgraded to electric class yet. Mm. And head over to emails. Serlina? Yes. Sir, would you do us the honors? Serlina would love to do the honors. And because this is an email about uh, voices and accents, I'm going <laughs> to put on an accent for this one, guys. So... Hello all. At the beginning of the last episode, Sack and Eric were briefly debating if George reads A Song of Ice and Fire aloud to himself and whether or not he actively imagines the accents and voices of characters. As for reading aloud while writing, one can only hope, but I wanted to weigh in on the latter. I am almost positive he know I hope you're enjoying this guys. Yeah. I'm almost positive am. he knows <laughs> what each character sounds like. Keep talking. <laughs> At the very least, what their accent is. The lower class characters are written with a syntax, spelling and vocabulary that suggests they speak with an estuary slash Cockney accent. Oh, this person is British. In other words, the accent associated with lower class London. I think this is an intentional and important choice on George R. R. Martin's behalf as it highlights the rigid class boundaries of a medieval society like Westeros. Unfortunately, I don't have any of the books in front of me so I can't give a concrete example. But if my memory serves true, it shows up not infrequently all through the series. Yay! I love this podcast from Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. There you go. And Donkey, Selena. Uh, Donkey. She's not Guten German, Tag. Eric. Bitte. <laughs> Good Morgen. <laughs> commercial. Wiener Schnitzel. Ah, Auschwitz. What commercial? One where she's oh, on no. the beach. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> what? Oh, Guten Morgen. Oh, Guten Morgen. Yeah. Jesus. Um, so back um, to the email. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's probably true because George R. R. Martin is a genius in every possible way. So I am, I'm very sure that, you know, with the whole, the my lord versus my lord is mm. just one tiny example of this. Yes. I, I think that that um, Chris is really George because that was a very, very good comprehensive mm. email. It was probably the way it was written aloud, but yeah. <laughs> you mean the fact that you read it in a British accent? Well, look, we it know this. It sounds very sophisticated, by the way. That helps everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to be put under scrutiny and subjected to Selena's accent, <laughs> yes. depending on which island she's from, which episode, uh, you can do so by listening to Eric Skull speak words out loud to your ears. Contact at GameOfOwns.com. Full stop. Leave a message after the beep. <laughs> you just need a soundboard. All right, I'm going to leave a message, right? Okay, here we go. Uh, hi, guys. It's Zach. I was just wondering if we were going to record this Sunday because football's on. And um, yeah, that's about all I have. You didn't, oh Zach, you, Zach, you, didn't, oh you, didn't, you didn't wait for the beep. Beep. Oh, shit.
it just cut off and it was like, uh. <laughs> well, there's one place that'll never cut you off mid sentence. What is it? What is the place? Is Actually, it it's Facebook? not Twitter because they will they will cut you off mid sentence. The bastards. They will. Facebook won't though. Facebook, you can just write as much as you want about your personal life and hope that somebody reads it. Yeah, if you have a hammer and a nail, you can chip it into our our wall of ice, and it'll it's leave true. it for everyone to see. And if you take an oath to stay and serve on our wall, um, you will feel personally rewarded, and we won't know. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. Sorry, Eric. You had something. Cook it up. Throw it. Serve it. Well, on that wall, which we just talked about, uh, by the way, um, if you're looking for it, if you cannot find it on a map, it is simply located at facebook.com slash game of owns, uh, FYI. And then we have a status update coming to you via our Twitter, which is twitter.com slash game of owns or at game of owns on Twitter. That status update mm. regarding the location of one winter coup, our famous Cow, uh, camel mascot. Looking at Twitter I'm interested here. to know. Yeah, what what did he uh, have to what say? Where about? is he? Evidently, he has been confined. Uh, M wrote in. Winter coup was visiting Paris yesterday, and there's a photo. Mm, that's where he was. There's a photo of Winter coup uh, behind some rope, and actually, it He's is into the that cutest, dirty shit. So the cutest sign. <laughs> That I have ever seen that says "Do not pet." Uh, it, it is a it is a hand that's in a box, xed out, and then circled in red. <laughs> and Damn! It shows how badass uh, Winterku is that he is not doing autographs and he is not accepting your petting. He he doesn't like oh. to be pet. Um, only scratched under the chin. That doesn't look like Paris, guys. It it doesn't. Maybe Paris like. Montana or something like that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, is that like going to hell, Michigan? Not the same. No, what's good to know is that, um, you know, I assume that Winter Q is in France, um, though that's debatable at this point. Uh, but, uh, he and several of his friends will, of course, be making their way, uh, to New York City in the not so distant future as the, uh, Radio City Christmas Spectacular opens up, I think, next month. Uh, so, uh, I will, uh, get to see him and his friends, uh, pretty much every morning as I make my way to work. Uh, they like to hang out on the street and smoke a cigarette or two before they have to go into work. So I'll catch up with him. Well, Winter Coup may be in Paris, uh, currently, but we know where Winter Coup is going to be next July. And August. And August. Yes. Uh oh. Yes. Uh, July 30th to August 4th. We've mentioned this on a recent show. Is LeakyCon 24? How do we get him for two months? It's in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, but he can still, take a holiday. He's going to charge us for two months if it's in two months. Well, I'm just we can just let him loose in the park. Maybe that's why he was so eager to do it. Yes, he will trample people. That will get his, his trampling fix. Well, you can sign over then, Eric. You put your name on the bottom <laughs> line. <laughs> yes. yes. So, uh, yeah, as we tweeted out on Saturday, uh, there is a uh, referral link. That if you plan on registering for LeakyCon 2014, uh, you can do so through that link, and it lets them know that we, Game of Owns, uh, sent you guys there. So we do appreciate that uh, you know, if you guys are listeners of the show and you plan on going, that you just click that link and register for the convention. Um, Mariah Lovegood actually tweeted in, and she said, I am brave enough to take that journey. She's, of course, referring down to Orlando. So long as I don't have to take the black to get there. Well, you do. So <laughs> make other plans. <laughs> take the black stout, of course. Uh, 
Yes. Of yes. Course. And Which take it with you to Orlando. Yeah. So, uh, I think we're definitely looking forward to this event next summer from July 30th through August 3rd. Yes. And in case you're wondering what it is about, uh, it is a convention of many hats. And fandoms, actually, not hats. Uh, it has nothing to do with hats, unless they're wizard hats. Yeah, that does not talk, tell them it's a convention about hats. It's a convention about many <laughs> fandoms, many things. And They'd you can just find be disappointed when they lids. go and there are no hats. So uh, we're looking forward to the next episode. We get to visit with Sir Davos, who we haven't seen in quite some time, see what he's up to, how things are going. It smells like onions. It does smell like onions. Oh, hey, and don't forget... You have only a very small window of days to send in your emails and tweets because we're going to make Eric or Selena or both of them sing and dance to read all of them in musical form. So stay tuned. Yes. So send in your owns from this episode, from or from this particular chapter with Tyrion, from Davos, as well as Jon Snow. Jon Snow cast it off. You know nothing, uh, me. I'm Zach. <laughs> I'm Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Selena. I know something. And I'm Micah. I know everything. I thought it would be nicer to say something bad about me, (laughs) but it was dumb. It was good. Goodbye, everybody. It's the end. We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know what was happening. I didn't hear a thing, which means it was probably me. It's because you were talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll just go so with it, guys. I was cut, talking about. She was trying I was to like, cut in, in the oh, Swedish hello, like seventeen hello. times. She's like, I bet. Yeah, this sounds a little bit better. So I would yeah. never choose to interrupt Test. your Swedish, Selena. So Test. please continue. Test. You have you have Swedish Day and you have Swedish Day. Okay. Swedish Day follows Swedish Day. It's a really sweet every day. Swedish Day weekend. Oh, that's... And I've worn my suede. Check.